morning. Turn with me, if you will, to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. Look with me at verse, beginning in verse 13. And my hope today is to wrap up our series in Ruth. My hope is to do that. I want us to share in the Lord's table today. So I may have to cut it short, but I uh, have enjoyed going through. I've never preached through Ruth before now. And I have just really enjoyed uh, what God has been teaching me through this. I pray that he has been able to teach you something through the ramblings of an old bald preacher and through his word. Today, I just want to wrap it up with a message entitled, From Chaos to Joy. Because if you recall, we started with chaos. In the end of Judges, the very last verse, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And I'm going to tell you, when you do, everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. That is the definition, very definition of chaos. We will not do what is right. We will not do what is good. That is not our nature. We are not bent in that way. We are bent toward chaos in our natural selves. Praise be to God that he redeems us. And through that redemption and through the influence of Christians who have been redeemed by Christ, he maintains a sense of righteousness in this world through the obedience of his children. But it was in these days where there was no king, not only was there no, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, it says that there was no king, so there was no one to set a course of rightness. That's why there was chaos. And at the beginning of the book, in the days when the judges ruled, so we find in Ruth that that's what's going on. We find a chaotic time, a time of struggle and turmoil. On top of the chaos of society, we find a famine takes place in Bethlehem, which drives the family of Elimelech to Moab. And he goes there and he takes his family there, his wife and his two sons, and there he dies. His two sons marry Moabite women and there They die, childless, no children left as a heritage. We see that the book of Ruth is the narrative of this one family, just ordinary people seeking to survive in chaotic times. That's what they are. They're ordinary people, and we need to understand that that's the narrative that we've read that we've studied, that we've gone through, is speaking of ordinary people living out their life day in and day out. Some of them struggling terribly. And so the book of Ruth begins in that way. One family is this focus. 
I've mentioned, and the providence of God is a theme throughout. God providing for this family and for the whole nation, really, because the famine came to an end. God visited his people with food. And that's what prompted Naomi to head back to Bethlehem without her husband, without her sons, with two daughters-in-law, and one came back with her. God provides. He provides for his eternal plan, the line he chose before the foundation of the world. God provides for his people the things of necessity and the desire of their heart. Another theme is that of redemption, which Naomi obviously needs. I mean, she's in dire straits. She needs redemption. And that redemption begins with brokenness or the realization on Naomi's part of her shattered life, which she rightly recognizes is because of God. In chapter 1, verse 20, uh, it says, uh, She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went back full, went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. She needs hope. She needs redemption, doesn't she? And the same God who brought her back empty is the same God that's going to fill her back up. That's what the book of Ruth is about. A redeeming God. A faithful God. A just God. I mentioned in the first sermon, the book really ought to be called Naomi. It begins with Naomi, and we're going to see today that it ends with Naomi. Ruth and Boaz, certainly major characters in the, in the book. But we see something taking place here. Ruth and Boaz are about to fade away. And the rest of the narrative is about Naomi and her redemption and her joy. God is the one that's going to rescue her out of her hopeless state. And do y'all know where he begins to do that? He begins to do that in Moab. He didn't begin doing it when she got back to Bethlehem. He began doing it in Moab. When God brought into the life of Malon a Moabitess by the name of Ruth. And evidently in the years that they were together... Ruth learned about the, 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 the Jews. She learned about their God to the point that when Naomi chose to go back, Ruth said, I'm going with you. No, go back. There's no future for you, Naomi said. There's no future for you. I'm too old to have kids, and even if I did, are you going to wait around for him to grow up so you can marry him? You'll be at a place where you can't have kids. Ruth said, oh no. Where you go, I'm going to go. Your people are going to be my people. 
your God will be my God. Where does God begin the redemption of Naomi? In Moab. In capturing the heart of Ruth. And we see in verse 16 of chapter 1, her conversion. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. I'm going to be with you. I'm following your God. And so we see uh, all these things taking place. We see uh, Naomi is full of heartache. We, I read just a moment ago, call me Mara. That's bitter. Call me bitter. Don't call me Naomi. I'm no longer like that. We even see in verse 19 where the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Because they remembered what she was like when she left. The implication is that she's unrecognizable. (laughs) And God's going to restore that. As they go on, we see Ruth rise up and go to the fields. And there, Boaz takes notice of her. Boaz said, who's that? They said, that's Ruth, a Moabitess. She's awfully handsome, you know. She's a pretty thing, isn't she? Hey, hey, Ruth, come here, let me talk to you. And he provides for her greatly. So much so that when... She gets back with all the gleanings and all the sheaves that Boaz has given to her. Naomi goes, that's a proposal. Here's what you need to do. You need to propose back. And so she sends her in darkness to the threshing floor. She uncovers his feet. She lays down at his feet. Who is that? It's Ruth, your servant. You stay there till morning, okay, Ruth? I'm not taking advantage of this situation. See, I love you. And the proposal I made, you're saying you accepted, and you're making the proposal back. So I'm going to go to the gate, and I'm going to redeem the land of Naomi and you. And he does... And that's what we looked at last time. We saw him there at the gate. And the Redeemer, the one that was nearer, said, well, I'll redeem. And said, well, as soon as you do that, there's Naomi, or there's Ruth, the Moabitess. She comes with the package, and you have a responsibility of making sure that a Limelech's line moves forward. Oh, well, I can't do that. Oh. You redeem it. I thought you'd see it my way, Boaz said. And so he gathered the elders and the people at the gate and said, you're my witnesses that this transaction is happening. Look, here's the sandal. Weird transaction, okay? I mean, can you imagine taking your shoe off and saying, okay, I got the land. So strange, but yet that's the way that they did. 
And they said, we are witnesses. And they even blessed the union. Listen to what they said. Verse 11 of chapter 4. Then all the people who were at the gate of the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. And it's through them that the tribes of Israel exist. In other words, may Ruth be fertile. Up until this point, she wasn't. She was already married. There were no children from it. The implication that she was barren. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. By the way, that was kind of an awkward relationship there, right? We're going to hear Perez later. Beginning of the genealogy already right here. So Boaz took Ruth. And I, 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 I see this. Naomi had this remembrance of a redeemer. Boaz. Evidently she'd forgotten about the one that was closer. You know, in times of chaos, like the times in which they lived, the times when it seems like the whole world has come unzipped, and all of hell is flying in your face, people always seem to ask the same question. Where was God? I remember that being a huge question when, on the uh, September 11th, 2001, where, where was God? How could there be a God with such evil in the world, such chaos taking place? This famine killed thousands in Bethlehem, perhaps, and in the, in the adjoining regions. Where's God when all of life is coming undone. Isn't that a question that you find often? God, where are you? Don't you hear me? Don't you see me? Cried that with the psalmist in tears, wondering when he would answer. I mean, the psalms are filled with it. Listen, Psalm 6-3, my soul also is greatly troubled, but you Oh, Lord, how long? Psalm 13, how long, oh, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Must have been how Naomi felt on her way back to Bethlehem. There was hope because there was food. Going on in the Psalms, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. 
How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? We're just in the Psalms. We're not even with Job. Who asked how long over and over again? How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? Or how long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Naomi's circumstances demanded such cries. Perhaps we found ourselves in places such as that. Where really all we can do is cry out, how long? Naomi was returning hopeless. And I'm sure her cries were that. But there God provided a redeemer. Their God provided something wonderful. I remember being in situations like where Naomi was, where all I could say was, Oh God, it's all that would come. I had nothing else to say. Oh God, this over and over. Oh God. And then he began to answer. And then he began to give me words. And then he began to give me hope. And I want you to know he does that. Naomi saw no hope, but God delivered hope. And he began it in Moab when he redeemed Ruth. God delivers redemption through ordinary means is what I want you to see. It's not some lightning bolt that comes at us and all of a sudden everything's good. Yeah, we, we want that though, right? Everybody? Don't you want that when things are hard, when things are difficult? Uh, we want God just to snap his fingers and fix it. Make it go away. But through the book of Ruth, what we've learned is that God does things through ordinary means. How did he redeem Naomi? That's really who was being redeemed, by the way. She was the people. She had the land. It was her redemption that's the central focus of this. How did he, he did it through ordinary means? Let me tell them to you two things. Number one, marriage. Weren't expecting that, were you? Probably expecting some deep theological Old Testament thing I dug up out of uh, somewhere, out of some dusty paper somewhere. No. How about this? He redeemed her through marriage. Let's never forget God's intent with marriage. Redemption. Marriage is how he redeemed. Naomi. Oh no, she didn't get married. 
but the marriage of Ruth and Boaz is seen as her redemption. We're going to look at that in a moment. Second thing, two things I said, two things, all right? This one's going to get you, all right? This is that one. Remember, ordinary means marriage and parenting. God redeems through marriage and parenting. We see both of those things in the final verses of Ruth. Ordinary means. Things you do every single day. Right? Things that God has instituted and that things that God intends to use redemptively. Your marriage and your children. First, let's look at marriage. Ruth initially had no hope of marrying again. She was a foreigner in the care of Naomi, a widow who was too old to provide a husband. Poor Ruth. Yet in God's providence, he provided a redeemer for Naomi and the man Boaz. Look with me at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Isn't that just so simple? took Ruth, and she became his wife. There was a marriage that took place here. Marriage is a redeeming thing, a beautiful thing. We told you last year, I guess it was, that we were, uh, the deacons uh, were forming a team of people to look over our documents in looking over the documents, we've come across some things on marriage. There's one paragraph I want, you to re- I want you to hear right now. It goes like this. The biblical understanding of the marriage union of a man and woman is both purposeful and beautiful. It proposes, or I'm sorry, it purposes, its purposes include the procreation and nurture of children, the mutual joy and the support and encouragement be given to one another by husband and wife, and the restraint of selfishness and sin as each seeks to serve the other's needs. Such purposes reveal a beauty so great that Ephesians 5, 21 through 33 connects marriage to the holy union of Christ and his bride, the church. Marriage is purposeful. And beautiful. It has a purpose and it's a godly purpose. God's the one who instituted marriage. He came up with that. He did it right at the beginning. With great intent. And great purpose. Verse 13. uh, Verse 13 gives a very simple definition of marriage. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. There's no more explanation needed. I mean, in that day, I mean, that was just common, and it still is. A man takes a woman to be his wife. God used his ordained means of uniting a man and a woman 
marriage and used it in the redemption of Naomi. He brought Boaz and Ruth together in marriage. He used that in the redemption of Naomi. It's through marriage that God forms families. Verse 13 says, and, the Lord gave, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. The purpose of marriage is being lived out right here in one verse. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. I, I, I don't I, I have to I have to say this. God gave her conception. To conceive is a gift of God. The implication of this verse also is that she was barren until God gave her. Conception. I believe with all my heart that human life begins at conception. It's a gift of God. And God had purpose in this, but guess what? Outside of marriage, that union should not exist. People say, you know what, Rick? That's kind of old-fashioned. We live in the 21st century. Let me tell you something. There is no timeline on the Word of God. There is no time limit on the truth of God. God commanded Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He repeated the command to Noah following the, uh, following the flood. Be fruitful and fill the earth. Fill the earth with the image of God. That's what's going on there. We're created in the image of God. Fill the earth with the image of God. If a modern writer would have written this verse, this, uh, this, this particular story, she would have filled the story with innuendo and ravaging uh, scenes of passion. But when God writes the story, he writes the story filled with purpose and beauty. And the purpose was redemption. And the purpose was procreation. And the purpose was generational. Redeeming love. Not merely intended for, for, to fulfill our desires, but intended to fulfill the God-driven desires that we have. So what happens? There's a family. There's a son born, it says. She gave birth to a son. What does that mean? Another redeemer is what it means. 
We need to understand that the building block of all societies is the family. It's why our first value is to lay biblical family foundations to produce many godly generations. That value, by the way, applies very deeply here in this text. Because we're going to see the generations at the end of this book of Ruth. In this case, the family is the perpetuation of the royal line of Israel. There was no king. But there will be a king. And that line starts with Perez, who is the son of Judah and Tamar. That line keeps going down until we come to David. There's no king, but there would be a king, and his name would be David. In Matthew chapter 1, we see the outcome of that, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 3, it says, In Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by none other than Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. We see the line of the king and Jesus Christ in that line. I want you to know that it's through marriage that we see redemption taking place for Naomi. It's not her marriage, it's the marriage of Ruth and Boaz. And namely, we see it coming from the offspring, this child named Obed. And so we move into the thought of parenting, that we have been given the responsibility of training up our children and teaching them. It says here in verse 14, Then the women said to Naomi, Hey, by the way, these are the same women that said, Is that Naomi? Naomi, what would you do to your hair? Naomi, you are skin and bones, girl. These are the same women that looked at her and said, Come to my house, we'll do a makeover. Here's some essential oils. Here's a, a steak you need to eat. Now the women are doing something else. They're not insulting her. They're blessing the Lord because of her. And because of all that God has done. He's redeemed. Look what he's done. They said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And I know you're thinking the guy that 
said, no, I'm not going to redeem, you redeem. And I know you're thinking Boaz, but that's not who it is. That's not the Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. To who? Her Redeemer. Now, wait a minute, Rick. How's Ruth and Boaz's kid her redeemer? Let's keep looking. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father. Naomi, you have a redeemer. And what is he going to do? He's a restorer of life. Can y'all see Naomi? Okay. I mean, she came with nothing. She came a wounded, broken woman. Nothing in tow but a Moabitess, who was her daughter-in-law. And here she is, laying a son on her lap. He was to act as a son to her. It appears that Ruth and Boaz agreed that she would raise up this boy and be his nurse and teach him and train him. And he would be the one who would care for her in her old age. That sounds just like Ruth and Boaz, by the way. I know that sounds a little strange. But this was two selfless people. <laughs> Ruth and Boaz sounds just like them. Hey, Naomi, here. Now, they weren't far away. They all lived in Bethlehem. All right? But can you see Naomi? All the women coming, look, you have a son. And oh, look, look at the pictures. You know, she pulled out her iPhone and she started going through it. Yesterday, one of our, our ladies discovered that Jacob had a new baby girl. I said, you didn't know. I pulled it out. I got a whole album full of pictures of her. We stood there, and I kept going, and I kept going. And finally, she excused herself. She said, well, I need to go to the next thing. I said, well, that's good, because I got a lot more. This is Naomi. Behold my son. God has redeemed. Look at the joy on my face. She says, Look at the joy that God has brought to me. I had nothing. My husband was dead. My sons were dead. I came back to a land I could not till. And God has given me a son. His name is Obed. Do you know what it means? Tiller. One who tills. Servant. That's what it means. And what's he going to do? He's a restorer of life. She's joyful. She has life again. But not only that. I want you to see it. It says right here. 
She's a nurser of your old age. Obed is going to be there. Hey, mom, come on. You can't go. I'll stay here with you. I'll, I'll be with you. I'm not going to leave you alone. Her son caring for her. I'm sure there were daughter-in-laws, other ones. They cared for her. She had joy the rest of her life. She was not alone. She had someone. She nursed him. That is, she took him as her own. Brought him up. God unfolds his plans, both present, past, and future, through the ordinary lives and ordinary activities of ordinary people. What's the point? Every single day, you have these things in your life. And these are the things that God works through. Your marriage, your children, everything. God takes all the ordinary things of ordinary people and uses them to his glory. And for our good. And I want you to know it says here the genealogy, generations of Perez fathered Hezron, and Hezron fathered Ram, and Ram fathered Amenadab, Amenadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. And there's that line. The line of the kings that didn't exist yet. But he exists today. And the king, his name, I know you thought I was going to say David, it's Jesus. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords and he is the one who died for us. He is the one who paid the price. It is by his stripes that we are healed. It was Jesus Christ, the one who was righteous, who died on behalf of the unrighteous. Why? So that he would bring us to the Father. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, some of you probably had miserable fathers, but I want you to know this father loves you. God brought him into existence through ordinary means to do extraordinary things of redeeming your life, your soul. He died on that cross. I mean, just butchered, really, on that thing. Back up against that wooden cross that had been scourged. Just nothing but meat hanging on that cross. All right, Josh. Hanging on that cross. Blood spilled out. you miserable sinners to redeem us and to welcome us adopt us into his family 
and make us his burial. That Jesus was buried in a tomb and he was raised. Praise God he was raised. Defeating sin, defeating death, everything done. For all those who would call on him. You know, this book was evidently written after David. Because his name's in here. They looked back and they said, look what God was doing through this line. Look what he was doing. Remember the great things that God has done. Probably Samuel writing it. Remember what God has done. Let us remember today what God has done. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare his death until he comes. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me, he said. And that's why this table is here, for us to remember. To remember him. To remember what he's done. To remember the sacrifice. To remember the love that God has shown to us. Paul tells us, do this. Or he quotes Jesus, do this in remembrance of me. But also this table is an opportunity for us to renew our commitment to Jesus Christ. To renew our commitment to faith in him only for the forgiveness of our sins. To confess to the Lord that we have sinned. To repent and believe him. This is a Time for us to go to the table of the Lord. And we're to remember Christ's sacrifice. We're to renew our commitment to him. And we're to realize in this our future hope. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This, I believe, a precursor to that. <laughs> I get giggly every time I think about that. Maybe this isn't an occasion to get giggly, but that this is a foreshadowing of the marriage supper of the Lamb, which all who are in Christ, is that you, are invited to partake of. I'm so happy that one of the first things that we do when we get to heaven is eat. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Here we are remembering. Remembering that it's not by my merit that I'm going. It's not by my merit that I belong. It's not by my merit that I'm in the family of God. But it's by Christ and his blood and his broken body. 
until we realize the future hope that we have, and that is the marriage supper of the Lamb. So as we take this, I want to encourage you, actually just say this, matter of factly, only baptized believers could take this ordinance today. If you have not come to faith in Christ and been baptized, you should refrain from taking the Lord's Supper today. But Also, if there are children here who have not done that, wonderful opportunity to teach them that they should not take the Supper if they have not been baptized. Your guest with us today, you're welcome to participate in this ordinance. If you are a baptized believer and a member of an evangelical church that preaches the gospel of salvation and is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as it is found in Scripture alone, to the glory of God. If you would be permitted, guest, to take this ordinance at your church, you can receive it with us. If you, in your examination of yourself, find that you have unforgiveness for another, or that you are boldly living in unrepentant sin, you should not participate in this ordinance with us today. Paul did mention that it was important for us to examine ourselves. Consider the table. Consider the remembrance, the renewal the future hope that we have. And so I want us to take a moment to do that, to pray, to confess, to prepare our hearts uh, to participate in this ordinance.